Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam. Cornflakes. 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 Any fancy pint? Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any damn vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know? Mmm, forbidden donut. It'll be 12.01 here. Actually, it's 12.02. I always do that. These intros, you know? Take time. Dr. Shane's got the intros right, though. He's uh, He trimmed it right back. Yeah? Yeah, it's like a, I don't know, seven and a half second intro. Boom! He's in there. It's now just Einstein a go. Go. <laughs> Red light on. Thank you, Shane. You little beauty. Oh, he's checking his Instagram. No, he's not. He's checking his mum's, sending him texts for stuff. Uh, and what a great idea for his show. And uh, to all the shows that have been on this morning, uh, why would you be anywhere else but have your ears locked on to this fine station? Across from me, I've got uh, Kent. He's been a bit of an obtuse mood today. <laughs> oh, 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 that's a big call. <laughs> Pot kettle. Yeah, I know. I know. There's, there's all these uh, fingers nice try. pointing back. <laughs> well, you know, one of, one of the great things about radio is, uh, you know, radio can be brilliant and all that sort of stuff, but the moment you put a little bit of conflict in a studio, <laughs> that's when people really get interested in what's going on. Don't you reckon? I think so. Seriously? I think so. Look at this. Good, you laughing. It's- yeah. It's there we nervous go. laughter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything could happen. Yeah, that's right. And it probably will here at uh, this strange little hour of food show <coughs> on at noon. Called Eat It. My name's Cam Smith, and uh, I am delighted to be here. And um, we have got some interesting things for you on the show today, uh, highlighting the uh, that lovable bivalve that lives in the sea. Ah, yes, Oscar the gold-hearted oyster. Hi, I'm Oscar. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Told you it's going to be weird. Yeah. It's getting weirder. Yeah. Um, no, we're going to chat about oysters because um, I thought um, on uh, on a few levels, uh, one is uh, that I'm seeing oysters approaching five dollars each. Ouch! Ouch! Um, on restaurant menus, and look, I know times are tough, hmm. but I remember a golden age when the proper way to order oysters was: Do you want? One dozen or a half dozen of oysters, and you hoed in there, and your vitamin A levels went up the, you know, all those minerals, the zinc, 
for the blokes. Yeah. yeah you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> hey? talking you know about. what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was great, but now with um, oysters at $5. It's like one or two, <laughs> not dozens. Oh, I could go for a joke now, but it's so inappropriate. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I was just reduced levels of zinc. I was yeah, just, you know, yeah. uh, sitting what and stop it anyway. Um, one but, of them didn't work. Is it that punchline? Yeah. Oh, that was a terrible one. Yeah, I had a plate of oysters <laughs> and only eleven of them worked. That yeah. was one of the the world's greatest awful dad jokes. Yeah. But um, oysters are, are just to eat. Um, and obviously, we're preaching to the converted here. We're assuming that you you love and like oysters. There's a lot of people that find them just the the whole idea of them to be complete anathema. It's a bit like coriander, isn't it? People either are totally into it or just don't go there. That's a genetic disposition, believe it or not. The coriander is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think um, uh, with oysters, it's sort of like a heebie-jeebie mouthfeel sort of more thing. <laughs> you know, that sort of yeah. blah, 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 blah. can't do that sort of thing. But um, uh, my premise is, is that um, it should be uh, every um, Australian's dream and uh, right and duty, duty more importantly, to be able to use an oyster knife and open your own oysters. Mm. And that way you save a lot of money. Mm. You can always always um, be able to do that at home. I always wince when I watch somebody chuck an oyster. I'm worried for them. You're worried? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Auntie, auntie danger. <laughs> yeah. Poor old cunt. <laughs> you go, ah, help. Um, I, my counter to that is if you have um, enough tea towels wrapped around it, we can do it. But anyway, we're going to talk to uh, Shane Buckley from uh, Wappingo Oysters, and he's up in the Bigger Valley. And uh, we're going to talk to him a, a little bit about that sort of thing. We've got market report with John. Uh, I've just come from the market, and we've uh, Kent and I've had eaten well from. Uh, the croissants uh, that we got. Actually, that was from across the road at Milkwood. Um, I was wondering, have you been... Uh, you're you're a, a person who loves to not only cook mm. and eat great food, yep. but to ponder... <laughs> the big questions. The big questions. Yeah. Like, for instance, is, is Vegemite a liquid? Yeah, he's Vegemite a liquid, and 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 what is a soup which um, uh, uh, yeah. has got us into heated discussions? Well, my my two favourite: uh, what is a soup and what is a sandwich? They I, endless fun trying to get to the bottom oh, of those definitions. Hijinks, <laughs> hilarity ensues because I, I I remember ages ago Kent sort of came up to me and went, "So come." <laughs> What is a soup? And I'd go, well, you know, classifications, potages, clarified soups, you know, purees. But that didn't appease you. I wanted to know whether wheat bix and milk was a soup. Yes, he did all these ridiculous things. If I floated a camel hump in a uh, in a giant vat of borscht, would that be a soup? You know, ah, I don't know. Um, 
But um, we uh, we have had a- endless discussions mm. um, about that. I did do something which I don't know. Have a look at this. This is on my Instagram. I've just posted it a while ago. Oh, hello, it's gone. Um, and I want to know whether you think is that a soup? Describe what you see in front of you. I'm seeing a very colourful plate, yes. Um, yes. and at a distance here, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, oh, reach over there. Um, oh, I'm definitely seeing uh, vegetables in a liquid, yeah, so like a broth at least, yeah. Um, and your question for me: Would I call that a soup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of ramenish. Yeah, you know, it's got a, it's got an Asian soup. Is look a bowl to it. of noodles a bowl of soup? Yeah, or is it just wet noodles? Yeah, it is. Anyway, this was a. Um, I had a go at making um, a bit of Sichuan, Sichuan hot pot uh, last night. Surprisingly easy to do, really. Once you have the ingredients, you know, you need a good stock. You need that um, really hot chili broad bean paste that you get at um, Asian groceries. Gotcha, Jang. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I that's love what that, love that stuff. Yeah, that's what gives it the the real kick. And then, of course, Sichuan peppers, which gives you the uh, the tingle. Um, and then I've also got these really interesting. You can't really see the noodles in there. I've got these um, Taiwanese knife edge noodles. Which is a bit like a flat noodle, but then it sort of tapers in, so it huh. looks a little bit like a knife's blade. And kind of like, uh, would you say rice noodles, glass? glass? Uh, no, it's, uh, I think they're wheat, but um, they're a little bit like um, fettuccine, I suppose. Oh, yeah. they're, they're like a ribbon, but mm-hmm. it, then it cuts in. Good for soup, though, because it seems to, it's like a little area that the soup can sort of sneak into. There must have been something in the water this week because I did some Szechuan. I did marva tofu. Oh, did you? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Oh, boy, oh, boy. If you like hot and spicy, mm-hmm. it, you can't go wrong with yes. marva tofu. Must be, you've got to have silken tofu with that. Silken. Silken yep. tofu, yep. Uh, lots of Szechuan pepper, yep. uh, the paste that we were talking about. Yep, got your jang. And um, chili oil. Yep, and you could make a vegetarian version of that if you wished. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, traditionally it's got uh, pork mince, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, 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 really good. And so with some rice and uh, before you know it, you'll be seeing through time. Because <laughs> that's what oh, yeah. Lisa Simpson, no, yeah. just sorry, I just, just had to... Uh, to to grab that. So you did that at home? Yeah, yeah. And and, and also, like you say, once you're um, underway, it's pretty straightforward. Mm. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Actually, a mapping turf is a, a, quite a um, a good, I'd almost say, beginner's intermediate dish to get under your belt. Yeah, I think people, when they see a lot of Chinese recipes, get put off by the long list of ingredients. Mm. But in actual fact, it's, most of that list is just various condiments and spices and things. It's, so it's, and it's, it's not just, as big a deal as you might think. And it's just to get that balance and harmony of flavour to link in together the saltiness, the sour, salty, sour, heat, obviously. Yeah, a bit of umami. Umami. Someone knows the slab. <laughs> Yeah. Who was it? Was that me? Um, let's say yes. Okay. <laughs> wow, I own a slab. Boy, it took about dollar dag, huh? 
This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. John, I just stare across at this, you know, this view that we have here and I, and I picked up that there's some pineapples over there and a very, very good morning to you. Yes, a good morning to you too at a very good price too. Yeah, and I was thinking of the flavour profile of pineapple, brown sugar and dark rum. Sounds good. It does. Well, you know what I miss? What do you miss? The olden days for a good, good slab of bread, mm. a good covering of real butter, Yeah. some beautiful Aussie ham, Oh, okay. Yes. And a thick slab of pineapple. <laughs> and the cherry too? Nah. Sometimes you'd get that. The right. ham steak Hawaiian. Yeah, all right. Well, you know. I, uh, and then you, you put the other bit of bread on top, squash the bejeevers out of it. Yeah. And all the juice comes out of the pineapple and the ham and into the bread. Ooh. And oh, I do miss that. Wow. And this would be from an Italian that probably railed against that first time when you ever heard about a pizza with ham and pineapple no, on it. No, no, that's Joseph. Oh, we, Joseph. I, I like putting um, pineapple in our tomato when we chop the tomatoes up because we don't use um, a puree or, or a, a sauce on our pizzas. We mm. chop up fresh tomatoes all the time. Yep. And the pineapple cuts through that acid a little bit too. Mm. And then, you know, with all your oregano and all that stuff, it all comes together even with the pineapple in it. So, yeah, not yeah. me. But Joey, he always says, look at this video, what real Italians. But What's going on? Well, you know that they say that it was invented here in uh, Toto's, Ligon Street. Yeah, yeah fond keep, memories, keep the, keep the skippies happy. Fond memories, mate. Don't worry about the skips, mate. We used to eat our pizzas there too. What, your mum too? Uh, no, mum always ate her own pizza. She don't eat pizza out unless I make her. And and old Joe, just to to bring him up as well, the the great patriarch. What was his view on the the pineapple pizza? I can't believe we got onto this. Subject. He, he didn't mind actually because yeah. he's like me. Ate everything. If it was served up to you, you ate it. Yes. You don't complain until at least you finish, because if not, they take it off you. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, God, God bless him. Uh, he's, he's looking down upon us. John, here we are at the Queen Victoria Market. It's, uh, ugh, I haven't brought sunshine. No sunshine. I'm no sunshine. Uh, you've got some show and tell today. Can I first just give you a little bit of my own version of gnashing of teeth? And uh, howling in despair over the, the the state of artichokes this year have been shocking. Yeah, it has been shocking. And I've been saying to all the girls that are complaining that, mm. first of all, unfortunately, a lot of the oldies that were growing the artichokes have left the building. Boy. Artichokes are a lot of work. They need a lot of water. A lot of space. A lot of space. Yeah. So the young boys, they grow the modern varieties. And this one that you brought out has got a beautiful purpley hue like the old Spinoza. Yeah. And this actually has got a few little spikes on it. Yes. But we keep saying these are bastarda that crosses between a couple of artichokes. Mm. But even though they look coarse, you know, they, they well, you are crisp and, yeah. and uh, juicy. So mm. as usual, Joseph said to his mum, could we please have some stuffed artichokes? So I took um, 
four purple ones and a green one home and uh, she, she trimmed them up, opened them up and did a, a breadcrumb stuffing, mm. put them in the pot with a little bit of water and olive oil mm. and a few broadies around them and a bit of potato Stop and uh, we had it. a feast. I haven't, ha- I haven't had any artichoke this year. Do I have to, I have to uh, remedy that? Hopefully they'll, uh, they'll come good. Is there a chance they will come good? They will come good. We, we've yeah. had a, a few. We sold them three fifty each, but mm. I'm, I'm hoping that with this weather that we've had the last few weeks, that they'll come on quick, smart, yeah. and uh, they'll go down in, in price and uh, have better quality and size. Well, you know, there's a, there's a small subset of people that. Can't believe this. I'm going to say it. Don't like artichokes. So for you, we're going to move on. <laughs> Let's uh, talk well, about something else. Talking about my dad, he was one of them. He would eat an artichoke, mm. but the outer leaves, instead of sucking the juice off like we do, he, he'd chew and chew, and Mum would get very upset. You're not a camel. You're not a camel. What are you, a cow? <laughs> huh? <laughs> And he'd go, serenity now! Serenity now! Anyway, that was... Uh, <laughs> I think we all need a coffee, Cam. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> now, I, I wanna, just went full Costanza I, I, I want to talk about another <laughs> gift from God. We're still getting these beautiful, thick asparagus from Mildura. Mildura! Um, still coming through. Yeah, it hasn't been windy, so they're a little bit straighter. Yeah. And they're not gritty because they're grown in a red, sandy soil. Have them in sandblasted yeah. by the Mallee. Down, down in Kuirupti, growing in a beautiful black, thick peat, mm. so they come up a little bit cleaner. Very rare that they get, you know, burnt by the wind. Mm. Um, but they've been running away. The buds on them are very, very tight. The the um, uh, stems are very, very green. There's only maybe a, a half a centimetre or white on the bottom, so I tell people don't snap them, peel them back or cut it. This one here, this one I'm holding, this bunch here. Is as good as a bunch of asparagus can get, I reckon. I don't think it could get better. I really no, do agree that's with you there. Beautiful. So yeah, get in there, steam them, brush them with oil, and barbecue them, and have them in the oven. Did you get your omelet? No. <laughs> you're a stirrer, mate. You mean now you're making me upset. Sorry, I but can't. I, don't I, I, I will put my request in again One for more asparagus. Time. In writing, three, yes. three copies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In triplicate, I, doing the I right get thing. smart now. I ask Joseph to ask his mother. You know, hey, yes, yes. how long? Well, how long will that take you to work out? <laughs> <laughs> Took me a while, but it doesn't always work either. Anyway, all right. So, I, I brought you two little types of tomatoes. So we'll talk yeah. quickly about rouge. that. This is a rouge de marmalade. Maybe a rouge de marmalade it hasn't got very many wrinkles on it. The old Adelaide tomato. Mm. This one's got a beautiful pur- a greeny. Uh, ready hue, not purple. Little um, streaks of green mixing the, the, in with the red. Yeah, this is the way my mother would eat it. She eats it half green like uh, um, most of my old Greek customers do. Yeah. But I like mine when it's moved on to this beautiful red. Look at that. How could you not hey, love a tomato like that? When you slice good. this, it's got a beautiful aroma, beautiful flavour, beautiful texture. A little bit of salt, a little bit of olive oil, a bit of bread. You're in heaven, mate. And you some are. beautiful cheese. You are. And the other variety, which is coming, hopefully going to come on strong, they're uh, a black Russian cherry tomato. Uh, they've got a, a, a greeny black hue on them. Smooth skin, though. Smooth skin. Yeah. This, this is not a Roma. I like the Roma variety better, but 
This round black one, it's got crunch and it's got acid and it's got sugar. Woo! Leaves the mouth really refreshed. Um, I shouldn't be eating tomatoes this week because I've got problems with fluid on my leg, but yes. they keep calling me. What oh, do you do? Going, oh my God. What do you do? Um, I'm thinking uh, the best little fillet of fish you can think of. Maybe a nice piece of dory or something. I'm, oh, King George Whiting, let's go all out. And then you blister these in, the, in a hot oven with a little bit of salt on top. And it just brings out the sweetness and... I I don't want to be rude because I'm jealous, but one of my customers said last week they bought some sardines. Yeah. And that's what they were going to do, sardines and tomatoes. Oh, perfect. And and I didn't get time to go around there, so I missed out. Oh, no, because... And that is doubly perfect because the acid from the tomatoes will cut through... um, the oiliness of the sardines yeah. and it makes it even better. Yeah, but I love sardines and, you know, especially put a little bit of bre- breadcrumbs on them when they're just mm. coming out of the oven yeah. and the tomato juice soaks up into the breadcrumb. Oh. Uh, made in heaven. Hey, stop talking so dirty to me like this. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> food, we can just do food stories. What about this uh, coming out of the oven? Now, you're shaking a bit of... Celery, celery it's a, little, a little bit limp because we left it out overnight, but it's still beautiful and it's yeah. still going into salads and soups and whatever. Yep. And well, like we always say, if you get naughty, peanut butter and anchovies inside the slice, like <laughs> we used to do in the sixties and seventies. And that beautiful white heart of the celery is valid for if you want to make a little salad for one or one and a half. A little bit of capers, a little bit yeah, of the definitely. best olive oil, a little bit of good good vinegar. And my mum's lucky she's got the European type celery, which here they call Chinese celery. Mm. Very thick green stalk, yes. very short, yep. a lot of leaves, yep. very pungent. You put that into the soup, maybe eat the hearts. I was going to say, you won't taste anything else. Yeah, we are. Don't put a whole bunch in. You oh, okay, yeah, a yeah. Bit. And careful you know? of the leaves, too, because the leaves will give a lot of flavour. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, celery's um, uh, good at the moment. I reckon we might move on to uh, uh, pick of the market. Well, definitely, as we've already spoken about the beautiful tomatoes, we've got Murray Bridge, uh, we've got Black Russians, we've got everything. Mm. Uh, good price. The prices are coming down. Uh, beans have come down. I think mine are probably the most expensive today. $12 a kilo. They're hand harvested. Yep. Uh, they're very, very tender. When you break them in half, they are translucent. You can see the clear jelly in the middle. Yes. And they'll keep more than a week in a crisper if they have to. Yeah. So just buy a few and steam them. Um, we had snow peas, or sorry, sugar snap peas, because we oh. couldn't get any real peas. Yeah. Uh, and, and I've been eating them raw because... Um, that's the only peel that I'll eat raw, and they're nice and juicy and sweet. Crunch. Crunch, 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 yes. Yeah, beautiful. Asparagus, definitely asparagus. Oh, we didn't talk about the price of this. Do we want to uh, we're to we're selling them at $5. Five. I was going to say five. Some, some we've got a little bit cheaper, a little bit shorter, $4 a bunch. Yeah. Uh, you can't buy cheaper, but be careful what you buy. You always get what you pay for. Yep. Uh, zucchini, dime a dozen. We've got $4. Um, beautiful zucchini. What about bananas? Bananas, uh, they gone up? from t- yeah, a little bit. Anything from yeah. two fifty to four dollars for good bananas. Yes. Um, a 
as usual, it's all out there, so get out there and have a look. Mm. Beautiful broccoli, we sold $6 a kilo, we sold out of that. Cauliflowers, they went up a little bit. They come um, back, people come back to them? Yeah, yeah, cauliflowers came right down. We were selling cauliflowers $4 last week. This week we had them, what, $6 because um, Mick said everything slowed down. Uh, he had to walk the paddock to find some collies for me. Yeah. Normally he offloads pallets and bins next door. Yep. Um, but, yeah, they're still beautiful. And there's a lot of bunch spinach around the market. Not my favourite, but a lot of people want to make uh, cheese and spinach stuff. Spinach stuff, so... Spanikopita. Yeah, right. You're more Greek than me, mate. Yeah, mate. Yeah, mate. <laughs> Six uh, Spanikopita, mate. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah, you you made that uh, roll or that, that thing with the Philo and the uh, Cavalanera, didn't you? You I, came into Philo. Oh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. So you can do that with the spinach and the cheese in the yeah, yeah. in the um, uh, puff pastry or the phyllo pastry, whatever you want to do. It was and, good. and it's just so easy to do. Yep. Um, and, and just giving that little crunchy sort of uh, um, wrapping makes it even more special. Definitely, yep. definitely. And if you put a little bit of bacon, better still. I did. So, you know, what else can I say? Pick the eyes out of the market. It'll sing to you. Make sure that when you come to the market... Have an open mind. Yeah, I see a lot of people now that come with their phones with their list, but still they're looking, looking, looking. Yeah, uh, yeah maybe we'll leave that one out and maybe we'll get a bit of this, and, yeah. and that's the way to do it. Cause, and look at that you know, rhubarb over there, Mike. Yeah, God, got to get and, some of that. And there's a lot of fruit out there. Yeah. Avos, uh, $1.50 again. Um, yeah. Pineapple upside-down cake flambéed with rum. Mum made an upside-down pineapple sponge, yeah, something good. we hadn't had for ages. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, and I'm eating away. And I said, oh, this has got pineapple in the bottom. <gasps> and everyone said, well, where have you been? I said, well, I, know I wasn't here when they started to serve it. Yeah, but it was really, really nice. And she squeezed orange juice over the top. Hey. And the orange and the pineapple was a treat because the sponge soaks it all up. Um, and any way you do it, it's good. La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita. It's all here. Hey, have a great couple uh, oh, weeks well, off. I'm having two weeks off. I'm going to do as little as possible. Beautiful. You're going to be busy, but you're not going away. Have fun. Thanks for chatting. See you soon. Take care. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. We have Shane from uh, Wappingo Oysters in the beautiful Bigger Valley in uh, New South Wales standing by to have a chat about this remarkable uh, little mollusk. But one of the great things about this humble mollusk, if we can uh, call it that, is that it was um, celebrated and um, celebrated by Lewis Carroll uh, in, a, in a poem called the, the Walrus and the Carpenter, where the walrus and the carpenter got out of it pretty good, but the oysters, hey, maybe not so much. Um, this is vintage Triple R stuff. This was recorded in Fitzroy, um, I used a, a young talent. Some said that he was going to go places. And uh, I said, hey, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's got a bit of attitude. Uh, his name was Bigsy, and I talked him into uh, reading a bit of poetry. He actually was right into it, and he did a 
awesome job. You tell me what you think. This is The Walrus and the Carpenter, read by Big Z. Yes. The Walrus and the Carpenter. Oh, oysters, come and walk with us, the walrus did beseech. A pleasant walk, a pleasant talk, along a briny beach. We cannot do with more than four to give a hand to each. The eldest oyster looked at him, but never a word he said. The eldest oyster winked his eye and shook his heavy head, meaning to say he did not choose to leave the oyster bed. But four young oysters hurried up, all eager for the treat. Their coats were brushed, their faces washed, their shoes were clean and neat. And this was odd, because you know, they haven't any feet. Four other oysters followed them, and yet another four. And thick and fast they came at last, and more, and more, and more. All hopping through the frothy waves, and scrambling to shore. The walrus and the carpenter walked on a mile or so, and then they rested on a rock conveniently low. And all the little oysters stood and waited in a row. The time has come, the walrus said, to talk of many things. Of shoes, of ships, and sealing wax, of cabbages, and kings, and why the sea is boiling hot, and where the pigs have wings. But wait a bit, the oysters cried, before we have our chat, for some of us are out of breath and all of us are fat. No hurry, said the carpenter. They thanked him much for that. A loaf of bread, the walrus said, is chiefly what we need. Pepper and vinegar besides are very good indeed. Now, if you're ready, oysters, dear, we can begin to feed. But not on us, the oysters cried, turning a little blue. After such kindness, that would be a dismal thing to do. The night is fine, the walrus said. Do you admire the view? It was so kind of you to come, and you are very nice. The carpenter said nothing but, Cut us another slice. I wish you were not quite so deaf I've had to ask you twice. It seems a shame, the walrus said, to play them such a trick after we've brought them out so far and made them trot so quick. The carpenter said nothing but, The butter spread too thick. I weep for you, the walrus said. I deeply sympathise. With sobs and tears, he sorted out those of the largest size, holding his pocket handkerchief before his streaming eyes. Oh, oysters, said the carpenter, you've had a pleasant run. Shall we be trotting home again? But answer came there none. And this was scarcely odd, because they'd eaten every one. Yes, the uh, soundscape fades. It was a hard fade. Hard fade on the uh, on the old beach things. There you go, young Bigsy. Um, do you recognise him? That was fascinating on a number of levels. Hey, great, great little uh, Lewis Carroll piece. But um, and good read. Listening to Bigsy of what twenty five quarter century ago. Yeah, <laughs> doing a doing a magnificent job and uh, and using that as a little bit of a, a backdrop. Um, let's go up the coast. Over the Great Dividing Range, uh, across the mighty River Murray, uh, until we uh, get to near Marimbula, where a uh, uh, buddy of mine, Shane Buckley, is uh, sitting in a little little shack with his feet up, oyster knife, just sort of, you know, 
wondering whether he's going to throw it at the wall or, uh, you know, go have some oysters. Shane Buckley's on the line. Good afternoon, Shane. Good afternoon, Cam. Nice to speak to you again. I'm glad you were there because uh, one of those sort of florid intros don't go very well when there's no one there. <laughs> but, you know, but how are you? With silence. Yeah. I'm good, I'm good. How is it down there in sunny Melbourne? Uh, not sunny. Uh, not 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 quite so sunny. Um, we're awaiting some some more sunshine. But uh, I thought, as a very very dedicated oyster grower of many many years, uh, you might get a kick out of that because um, you were saying you certainly hadn't heard anybody read out that poem before. What did you think of it? Uh, it's uh, it casts a bit of a. Um a line to me where I feel like either the walrus or the carpenter, mm. um, you know, nurturing these beautiful little creatures and giving them a lovely home and having them husband really well and brought up really nicely just to um, send them off to their <laughs> to the respective demises. Yeah, I, I suppose so, but... Uh... It's it's funny, Shane. We've known each other for a, a few footy seasons now. Um, I'm trying to remember where I met you. It was outside Anyata, um Restaurant um, in the second grooviest street in the world, Gertrude Street, apparently. Yeah, it was. It was the, the, the opening, the reopening. Yes. Anyata that night. Yes. It was a great night. Yeah, so, I don't know how many years ago that was, but I remember... Um, I think, I think. 13? It sounds, yeah, it sounds 2013, right. I think, yeah. Whoa. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay. But I remember um, you having to repeat um, a story that you've had to repeat many, many times with with great patience um, and, and great forbearance um, in the fact that you introduce yourself and you say, hi there, my name's Shane and I grow organic oysters, to which... Usually someone will snort, you know, derisively, uh, and then you have to go, all right, I'm talking to another one. The reason why they're organic oysters is? Um, Because of the quality of our water, firstly, and then the way that we go about growing our oysters, we, um, we use no treated materials whatsoever. Mm. We um, only use the latest recycled or recyclable materials. Um, there was a lot of tar in- being used in the industry before um, you sort of changed things around a bit. Was that tar on the ropes yeah. and things like that? And- wooden, wooden hardwood sticks, like, uh. so like tomato steaks that were coated, hot dipped in, in tar. Oh, and, yeah, um, beauty, beauty. Then yeah, it's great. You used to see them. <laughs> put them out and there'd be a nice little slick coming off them. As you, well. I can just something. imagine it, yeah. Maybe we put a bit of creosote on them as well, yeah. <laughs> just to kill it. But but I remember the the one thing that really stood out when we did have that chat um, over a couple beers uh, was the fact that uh, when you first went into that area, which backs onto a national park, which is another reason why you get organic certification, um, is the fact that there was no seagrasses, but once you'd been there for a while, the, all that seagrass had come back, which was a really, really, yeah, so really great the, tale. 
The infrastructure used to be all fixed, so it was all like anchored to the bottom with post and rail and then big trays and, and whatnot shading the bottom, so mm. the sunlight couldn't get through. So the grasses all were all disappeared throughout the leaseholds because of all the shading. And when we pulled all of that out and put in our newer systems, which are on a long line, which move with the tide and the, yeah. the wind, it just let the, the the lake bed be exposed to the sun again. And it's the the, the weed beds in you know in our leases now are just thick and flourishing. It's fantastic. Must be kind of good, and um, and and it would probably be um, shelter and habitat for um, larger fish too. I'd imagine. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a win-win situation for us and you know the environment that we work in because you know all of these weed beds are exactly that. You know, they they're habitat for all sorts of crustacean and fish and all parts of the food chain for little fish to grow into big fish, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then I thought we'd we'd move into, first of all, the area of um, the cost of oysters and what we're seeing in, in restaurants and gone are those beautiful Halcon days of... Um, when you'd order oysters, it was, do you want half a dozen or a full dozen? Mm. I remember those days. <laughs> and it was pretty easy to Not knock o- It was easy to knock over a, a dozen oysters, believe me. Yeah, well, not too many places are selling them by the dozen and half dozen anymore, especially the ones that we supply. It's all mm. per unit. Yeah. Per oyster. Yeah. And it makes them a little more special, I suppose. Well, I guess, okay, on the upside, you, you do, as a singular pleasure, um, a, a really, really beautiful oyster, it becomes that a really, really wonderful thing on a plate. Um, yeah. And you, you really, really do appreciate it. But um, I was going to say to you that I think it's... Uh, now become just about every Australian's duty to learn a new skill. We're upskilling the population, Shane, that everyone should learn how to open an oyster. Uh, like everyone should have, a, have their own oyster knife that fits them and, and uh, lets them pop oysters at home. That's right. And... Um, and uh, is it a hard thing to? Oh, let's 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 talk about that. First of all, uh, Kent across from me um, has a mild phobia of um, of of wanting to see oysters open, wanting to enjoy oysters, but it's just the thought of the oyster night hitting a main artery, and and the whole you know the whole thing sort of gets spoiled a little bit, and there's just blood everywhere. Nan's screaming, the dogs are going off. Um, it happens all the time. The authorities keep it suppressed, but oh, it happens all the time. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever witnessed no. such a thing? I mean, it's... Um, um, how do you open an oyster sure. with a knife? Tell us, give us the, 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 the skinny on this. Well, there's two ways. Um, some people prefer to open from the frill end. I myself, I prefer to open them from the hinge end. Yes. Um, the hinge is the softest part of the entire shell, apart mm. from the animal inside, and so it's the easiest spot 
to get a knife in so you can pop the lid open. Mm. Um, but as as you know, Cam, we've had some you know in, intense um, conversation and yes. and practice on opening oysters over the years, and um, it, it is an acquired skill. Yes, it's an art skill. Practice makes perfect, though. You've yes, to, you don't you don't you don't perfect it, and if you don't um, don't get a few in your hand and mm. have the odd nick here and there, but. Yeah, well, that's what the that's why uh, God invented the tea towel. I'd, I'd put to you, you know, um, and and also you can buy all sorts of wooden blocks now that you can rest them in and pop them in there as well. Oh, really? So there's there's no excuse. There's no excuse for people not to be opening oysters at home. Yes, yes. The the one thing that they do need to do though is to go and get a purpose build uh, equipment and. There seem to be two main designs when you go and get an oyster knife, and this is at um, like a chef's hat or uh, any sort of kitchen supply place. One looks like a, 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 a great white shark's tooth, which is sort of like a, um, a big sort of equilateral triangle, like a really wide triangle. Wide, wide, uh, yeah. Yeah, which um, uh, I reckon are pretty much as useful as an ashtray on a motorcycle. Um, in that it's too wide and not good. What you really need is sort of like a, a stiletto shape because, as you say, you, you're trying to get the end of the knife into the hinge of the oyster and then it's all about that twist and pop, yeah? It's like, like turning a key to unlock it. Yes. And then... Pop it open and then slide the knife across the top of the lid. Yes. So that you... You take the muscle off the lid, the abductor, and then, yeah. yep, and then you're exposed the the beautiful little morsel inside, and you just nick the little abductor off the bottom shell and slide it into your mouth. Yeah, and um, and in a, in a lot of ways, um, the less you do to the oyster, um, the better off it'll be, and especially someone like you that you know grows these things. Well, what do you like to see put on an oyster or certainly not be put on an oyster? Well, one thing I certainly don't want to see put on an oyster is fresh water. Oh. When someone opens an oyster and then washes them underwater, I think it's one of the worst things you can do oh. because sitting in the shell is is the environment that the oyster grows in and lives in. So what you want to do is make sure you keep that liquor with the oyster and have the oyster while it's nice and moist with that liquor because it is it is especially a taste of of it's the miroir of the oyster it's where it comes from within the marine environment or the or the, or the tear what about the tear yes. <laughs> it's influenced by the by the you know the, the surrounding environment yes cuz and that was look that was one of the great revelations um that came through probably in the, I reckon, maybe it might have been Don Levy down at, um, he might have been responsible, Karen Martini maybe at the George Dining Room, might have been one of the first people that were opening up oysters um, and having a whole bunch of shaved ice, if I remember, because what most restaurateurs would do would they would give, I don't know, rack of olis, you know, a ring uh, the night before, and they go, well, we need 20 dozen <clears throat> and along they'd come. They'd be all opened, and um, 
And, uh, yeah, there's no water there. There's, they're just drying out. Uh, they're a bit of a time bomb. Um, and, um, and, and some of them wouldn't make it. It's certainly not the way, you know, you want to um, enjoy a, a real quality product is, is to not have them opened previously. You want to have, you want to have them so that they're, they're prepared for you right there. That's why, you know, a lot of the places that we supply, and Michael Bacash is a, is a demon for it. He, he's always preparing his oysters to the to the order, as, as everybody else is nowadays, but um, he goes about it quite well. And that's why people should be doing it at home. Agreed. Not buying them open. Agreed. They should be buying them live, popping the lids at home. Mm. You know, it, it becomes a part of the the theatre that is getting dinner ready. Yeah, it is indeed. Well, listen, uh, Wop and Go Oysters, uh, you can ask them by name. We've just heard that they're available at Bacash's. Uh, a joy to chat with you. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 